Let's go. Welcome to Micromobility, a podcast exploring the disruptive potential of lightweight utility vehicles. Using the history of computing as a framework, we examine how these technologies will upend everything we thought we knew about the future of urban transport. The host of the show is Horace Deju, founder of Asimco.com, and I'm his co-host, Oliver Bruce. Hey there, folks. Oliver here. This week, I interviewed Tony Ho, VP of Global Business Development at Segway 9Bot. They're the largest micromobility hardware player globally, across a whole heap of different verticals, and Tony has a unique perspective on the space and how it's developing. He's also a Clayton Christensen disciple as well, having started at Harvard under him similar to Horace. So we get to unpack the theory against the practice of disruptive innovation and why Tony is excited about the space. It's a great discussion, one of our best. Before I dig in, I do want to also talk about Triple M, our micromobility membership. Keeping track of what's going on in the space is really hard, especially now, and there's a heap of very fast-moving news. At Micromobility Industries, we're obviously incredibly bullish about the future of micro, especially post-pandemic, in terms of facilitating low-cost, physically-distanced transport around our cities. Triple M is the community that we're building around this movement. We have a dedicated Slack channel, calls with Horace and industry leaders. In the next couple of weeks, we've got Kara Swisher and Felix Salmon talking car-free lifestyles and why Kara loves scooters. Founders from Spin talking about how they're handling operations in lockdown, and then actually we did one a couple of weeks ago, but you still have access to it, with our guest from today, Tony from Segway, talking with the other largest manufacturer in the shared space, Okai, talking about their supply chains in China. We've got a lot more coming down the pipe, and I'm really excited about it. The membership also gives you access and discounts to micromobility conference, swag, and more. If you want to talk about and support the work that we're doing here on the podcast and in the wider industry, this is the best way to do it. It costs 100 bucks a year, and it gives you access to everybody else in the space working on this. At the moment, if you sign up, you get a month free to trial it. So head over to micromobility.io or by clicking the link here in the podcast notes. And now, here's Tony. We have with us today, Tony Ho. How are you doing today, Tony? Very good. Thank you for having me. <laughs> it's great to have you. We met each other at the Micromobility Conference in January last year, but you seem to be uh, very prominent in the industry. A lot of people know who you are, and I know you deal with a lot of the operators around the world. Maybe what we could do is have everybody kind of be introduced to who you are and a little bit about yourself and your role at Segway. My name is Tony Hall, and I uh, head up the global business development activities for the Segway Nibot group. So a lot of people probably know that the group came from the merger between uh, Segway and Nibot to group in the space. And Segway happened to be the, the inventor of the original self-balancing scooters, if you will. So we make wide range of product, starting from the sort of tiny little e-scooters. We call them drift. The, like the skates that go under your feet sort of thing? Like the skates, yeah, like the skates. Yeah, yeah. To the sort of the uh, claim of fame, the kick scooters, uh, the electric kick scooters. And also we recently launched the uh, electric mopeds as well. Uh, we think that has a huge potential. And we also have heavily invested in uh, robotics technology. So we have delivery robots and, and also this ro- robotic uh, kick scooters recently announced uh, actually at the Berlin Micromobility Show. So we, we cover a wide base and also our footprint is pretty big, including essentially all continents. We, we have our footprints there. So that's me and the company in a nutshell. 
Excellent. That's great. I was really surprised as I was doing research for this interview, just how wide a product offering you do. Because it's, I think, certainly for me, I think of myself as being generally pretty well informed about the industry, but you guys have really expanded your product suite, especially into those larger vehicles like the ATVs and, and other things as well in the more recent years. And it's really exciting because in some ways that really, it conforms to our thesis that Horace and I have that as you start out with these small vehicles or even the Segway style, you know, vehicle uh, format, that that technology can kind of be repurposed into a lot of different form factors relatively easily, that all of these things can be combined relatively easily. Thank you very much for that intro. I think the kind of question that a lot of people have in their mind, given that this is interview being done towards the end of March, start of April, is just what's the impact of COVID been for Segway and, and how are you thinking through that at the moment. So maybe just sort of a top level, what's the coronavirus impact and how are you thinking about it as a company would be great. Short term, you will probably see the whole industry suffering. You probably heard uh, actually on the news, many big operators are essentially retreating from cities and also pause or downsizing the staff. So as suppliers to the industry, of course, we also seeing some activities going much less down right now. We do see a little bit uptick on the retail side because uh, we see, especially in China, when everybody's coming out of the lockdown, we do see some uptick. But in general, it's pretty obvious that the industry is hurting. But longer term, we still have a very high hope. And also we see evidence of industry coming back quickly right after the lockdown or social distancing, especially because micromobility has this feature of you know being private or personal, and they are capable of giving you the sort of the, the social space if you need it compared to typically public transportation. So in some way, you know, you, a lot of people are saying, you know, it's a very simple, almost primitive form of transportation, but it's almost the anti-fragile theory at work here where you can really see that that has really the ability to sustain itself. And also they are flexible enough for people to adapt to the new new normal. And talk me through sort of the breakdown that you guys have between shared and retail. So obviously you, you sell into the shared market, which is the micromobility operators. And that's obviously been really hit with a lot of those operators having to take their scooters off the streets. But then you sell into the retail market as well. And can you give any sort of indication on how the retail market's doing? Is there, have you seen an uptick? Because we're certainly, and I'll give the context to that as well, which is conversations with like Van Moof, for example, who sell the uh, e-bikes who have been a guest on this podcast. They've seen a 50% bump in sales in the last month just, you know, year on year. I mean, they were already growing, but it's really a lot of it to do with COVID and the impacts there. We're not ready to kind of disclose detailed information. I can tell you that the retail side, we do see some pretty good uptick. In the early days, is half and half our businesses for retail and also for sharing business. But last year, definitely our retail share has gone up significantly, precisely because the share business, the share scooters or and even other form factor, educated market. And so, so a lot of people start to seek out personal solutions for that. Definitely the retail side of the business actually is exceeding our shared business. Partially also because the nature, right? Because the fact that your, the devices are shared, so they're they much better utility and, and therefore the, the size of the market is actually smaller compared to the, the retail size. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I had a, a Xiaomi Mi 365, which was my, my first scooter. I then upgraded to a, a boosted Rev before unfortunately boosted went under but they're great. great scooters they're thank great thank you for your business <laughs> yeah no i mean they're phenomenal they're like the the nokia 3310 of the micromobility world as uh, the way that i described it that's right and we keep upgrading them too so there will be new model almost like a improved version of those as well so because we know this is exactly the, the nokia 365 in the sense that it, it's something almost like a staple of the product right so, so we'll keep them coming with newer features yeah 
Absolutely. And and then given that framework, how do you think about what the iPhone of this industry would look like then? If if you are indeed Nokia and we want to get you, you know, it, it is because they're like, they're still relatively, they're not super infused with intelligence. And I remember sort of having my one and being like, you know, I wish that I could do something like lock it with my phone or only have it when my phone was, you know, it would only work when my phone was around or some levels of it. So additional intelligence that would be able to go on that scooter obviously price points and all that sort of stuff but like what do you see what the iphone would look like if that was to come down that down the pot sure i think i even mentioned this at the first micro mobility conference that scooter business or micro mobility business or the product really resemble the early days of cell phones so in the early days there's essentially all kinds of form factors right so because there's different need, there's different usage, different situations, different business model, it requires uh, different type of features. So it's almost like the, the early days of land grab, if you will. So uh, starting from super light kick scooters to like really heavy duty, long range one for heavy size people to, to like, you know, the robotic ones, right? So they will be uh, a while and all kind of form factor we playing out and, and we're competing for the consumer's attention. Ultimately, you know, it boils down to the value, the the job we're trying to to address, so or to to solve. So the way I see this is that there's already one clear divide between retail version of the scooters to shared scooters. But I think even in the retail side, we will see even more diversification of the product into different type of form factors. So for give you an example, we actually announced that the T15, um, this sort of a, uh, used to be called City Goal scooters. It's a highly affordable, you know, very elegantly designed product and it's only weighs nine kilo and you can put them inside of a car trunk. And this was CES this year, we, we announced that. And that's an indication that this is actually a, a product that designed for ladies, for example, who really care about how it looks and needs to be lightweight and it, they don't really care how far it goes. And they're not as heavy as the, the guys. They don't really need a workhorse per se, but need to look good and, and sort of convenient enough. And it doesn't take much trunk space compared to, to the other sort of utility scooters. So that's, I see, a sort of more diversification into more specialized. In fact, we actually were approached by many auto companies to work together and say, hey, well, what about we pair the T15 scooters with your car offering? So become a premium part of the premium package and you can essentially take them out of the trunk or maybe even wear the, the spare tire compartment, right? And it doesn't really take any trunk space. It solves the sort of last mile issues. So you park a little bit too far, but you have a scooter in your trunk, so you can take that and, and ride it to your office. Is that the Hyundai? Because there was a Hyundai promo video that came out probably like mm, towards the end of last year where they had one of these things and it was like it was actually like slotting out of the car was that you guys uh, no no no. this is actually more like i think they did a concept for that i, I cannot say if we work or we don't work with Hyundai. <laughs> not yet at least <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay but but yeah. but uh, you can i, I think I, it's confident to say that there's this huge synergy between automotive offering and also micro mobility solutions i think you you could say this if you look at seat in uh, the spanish car company they're part of the Volkswagen group. So we actually sold quite a few uh, ES scooters through their channel. It's kind of co-branded Seat Segway scooters. They sell tens of thousands of uh, our scooters just through their channels because the, the users see the, the usabilities, right? So I think there's definitely lots of opportunities here. And we think by diversifying into different 
industry at this stage is probably the right strategy um, because people have different needs and different scenarios. Frankly, there's different road conditions too, right? Europe road condition is totally different from you know, China and, and, and US on regulations and those things. So my hypothesis is probably we're going to see probably even more diversification before everything will converge. And also, it's kind of like it's slightly different from the iPhone scenario in the sense that it's a very, very personal device and specific to your gender, your culture, your cities, and also the job you, you need to do. For example, you know, if somebody wants to get a scooters to run a delivery business, right? So they work for Uber Eats and whatnot. You probably heard about this before. Some of the delivery companies, Uber Eats or Postmate, they actually uh, reward people who ride scooters or e-bikes because it's, you know, they deliver faster in the city and they are greener. So they actually gave a little bit of favorism to the people who ride scooters, right? So, so by doing that, and a lot of the, the riders see this as actually a business opportunity to have a scooter, not to mention that they will reduce the cost of uh, delivery. You don't have to drive a car and you have to look for parking to deliver a pizza, right? But then what happened now is if you use this as a productivity tool, then the issue becomes like you need specific features to do the job, right? So what about a rack for the food, right? And what about more protection? And perhaps even, you even need longer mileage or range for your, for your kick scooters. Precisely. Yeah, or swappable batteries or, you know, and all that other sort of thing. A swappable battery is another one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I had a uh, conversation with Mina Nada, who, who runs Bolt Bikes last week. And Bolt, they do leasing for e-bikes to delivery partners. So people who delight for, you know, ride for Deliveroo or Uber Eats or anything mm-hmm. like that. And his point was like, look, the challenge with a lot of these vehicles is that and it be this case of scooters or otherwise, it's like there isn't really a full stack service yet. Like what we have is we've really built out, they're still consumer goods in many ways. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on, do you think that we will end up with something that's almost like a full stack, similar to the auto, like an auto product or an OEM in terms of, you know, you might have distributors, but then you'd have a servicing aspect because, you know, one of the challenges I had with the Xiaomi that I had and still have with my boosted is, there's nowhere to service it. Like I, I try and go and get anywhere, you know, looked at anywhere and there's just no infrastructure yet in place. Who do you think that will emerge from? And is that a role that Segway itself will end up playing, you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we are start to working to that direction already, right? So think about what we offer now. Um, I mentioned in my Slack chat group that, you know, I had up another company sort of subsidiary called uh, Segway Discovery, right? So what we do is we package all the, you know, really the best scooter on the market and we combine them with the best firmware, the cloud, and also the, the apps, right? So you could potentially just take them and almost like a puzzle. You, can, you don't have to buy the whole thing, but you can actually take different pieces, put them together and to suit your, your business need. For example, you know, a lot of people actually use our scooters, but not our app, but they come up with their own clever way of doing business. Well, we offer them an API that can, they can use to program our scooters, right? So in some way, they are building their stack on top of ours. We also competing in that space. So we're kind of like the, the Facebook and, and, and Google, and it's just like everybody's playing the, in the full stack from, from hardware all the, yeah, to, all the yeah. way to, to the cloud, right? Yes. So we're kind of taking a similar approach, but we keep them very, very open. So this is sort of the way we think by leveraging everybody's creativities and also their resources, we're inviting people coming to the community to build up new services and new, new ideas. So the short answer is yes, definitely we are doing this full stack, but not only us, right? So we also had 
essentially open platform. Yeah. Yes. Talk me through how you think of yourself and your competitors. And the reason I ask this question is obviously Horace oftentimes talks about the space is being, it's disruptive because the car itself is being unbundled. And so what we're really looking at is like, we're really, it's a low end disruption moving further and further and further up into where the car might have otherwise been or like the predominant modes of transport. Do you think that that's an, an accurate analogy in terms of how you'd think about yourself and how you've positioned yourself? And then how would you think about all the other services that you then offer around sort of discovery and other things as well? Yeah, Horace and I, we literally go to the same school and, and have the same teacher, right? So in some way, we, <laughs> yeah, we, are, we are all a believer of the disruption theories. And so I, I truly believe that the micromobility solution will be uh, a huge disruptor, as you can see already in, in some cases for like, you know, the under five miles or even 10 miles distance, scooters are already replacing cars for some of the Uber business, right? That's, what, that's why the Uber and, and the Lyft guys jump in into this business right away. So we, we do see some disruptions. And not only that, I, I think the convergence between so the robotics and also the the, the micromobility solutions will make other possibilities in terms of, you know, you, know, you summon a, a scooter to you as opposed to you look for scooters. And so that will change people's behavior and also significantly reduce the cost of the transportation, especially in, in the sort of the urban, urban setting. So I, I think from that point, I think definitely it's a disruption. And the COVID virus situation actually might even accelerate that process in a sense that in the very beginning, one of the major issues here is, as you probably know, disruption theory costs for something really like a toy-like or even inferior product, right? And a lot of people are talking about, okay, maybe the, the robot now is actually not good enough. But guess what? Now you actually need more robot than ever, right? Because now you need an end contact and the delivery. So before it was not good enough solution, now it's actually good enough, right? Because the dire situation. And, and obviously, one of the issue was micromobility is the utility rate is still not high enough. The asset, the main asset, you, you have to invest so much to serve these little people. And the public transportation, like the trains and, and buses, have much higher capacity. But guess what? You don't have that capacity anymore because people don't want to ride. So utility rate, on even on those transportation devices, is not going to be as high. And so people are going to switch to something a little bit more suitable in that scenario. So... I guess they will deal with it. I mean, we, we talk about a lot about the, the shortcoming of micromobility, right? Rain and windy and whatnot, and they're not perfect solution, right, for many situations. But in certain scenarios, especially now, well, you that's the only choice you have, right? So in that case, it's actually <laughs> yeah, good enough. Yeah. You are right? not stuck inside a big box where people are coughing on you. Yes. Exactly. You might <laughs> just dash out on your scooters, right? Yeah. I even see this disruption accelerate because of that. We internally, we were actually even talking about this is that perhaps we can even accelerate the projectile of the, the robotics. So for example, you know, if you look at right now, you know, Waymo is sort of the biggest guy in, in the space for, for the robot taxi. But I think that's still very expensive and it's very difficult to have full autonomous driving vehicles. But we're probably going to implement this faster on our robo scooters than, than actually the Waymo uh, taxi, robo taxi, because it's a much easier problem to address, right? Because in this case, we're not moving people. We're, we're just moving the scooter, right? So they move very slowly and they don't pose any dangers to any, any people, or, you know, pedestrians or vehicles. So in some way, they, we might even argue that we will see, you know, scooters roaming down the street more quickly 
sooner than than actually robo taxi roaming down the street, right? Yes. I'm a big fan of that thesis. I did actually want to ask what has become of the both the Luma robot, which is the the sort of the Segway style one, which is the which had a screen on it and things like that, and the T60 as well, the T60 autonomous scooter that you announced last year. Can you give any updates on either of those? Oh yeah. Uh, so Luma actually started way early. So in a sense, even back in I want to say maybe 2010 ish time, way before even Nightbot was founded, Segway already started this thing called a robotic mobile platform. So Essentially, they're building a, a robotic platform on top of, a, essentially, we call them RMP now. The, it's a Segway base. And we actually worked with even DARPA, I think, at that time on sort of military application. And uh, so we're putting a robotic arm on top of a Segway base. And uh, so the idea has been there for the longest time. The issue is uh, the old Segway has always been cost down, right? So how can you scale up while drive the cost down? And because the you know, the popularity of old Segway at that time was, was just not there. The market is not there. So we were not able to scale up. Now, the interesting thing is we managed to significantly reduce the cost of original Segway by almost tenfold on leveraging the, for example, the phone technology, the new sensors, the new microchips, the battery and motors getting better and cheaper, right? So we managed to reduce or essentially shrink that cost by essentially tenfold. Even before this kick scooter craze, Nybot has always been a profitable company because our bread and butter at that time were Segway mini scooters, mini Segways. When you say the Segway mini, so that's the with the wheels on either side and they were quite popular in China. They're the ones that I'm thinking about where they only come up to your knees, right? They don't have the handles. Correct. So you, you, you steer, yeah, you steer with, that, with, the, with the knee bar. I actually post a picture on my Twitter page is that some of the sanitization workers they actually ride on a, a mini Segway and they will spray there was <laughs> because it was faster right because some of the places that you cannot it's hard to get to by by a car so they kind of ride a yeah a someone Segway posted on Twitter that same thing and said uh, this was not the 2020 that I expected you know, I know this was it's a, amazing a right so <laughs> yeah it's really pretty scary too because the guy is full covered in in a protective gong right yeah yeah so back to the ro- robotic story it was sort of natural extension. So imagine we had a, you know, industrial grade Segway and it has all the industrial, you know, even military grade robotic accessories and whatnot. And now it's only natural to think if we shrink everything down and now after 10 years, we will be able to kind of even make it almost like a personal or consumer version of a robot. So that's how the sort of the Lumo idea came about. So basically say, Okay, so essentially we are talking about iPhone, a phone on wheels, right? So we, we really just did that. So we, we took it, even the Lumo t- today is built on an Android platform. If you are a kid who knows how to program Android, you can easily program a Lumo, you know, for educational and whatnot purpose. So the Lumo did okay, you know, but it, it never took off to the scale of uh, a kick scooter because one of the major issues here is the Segway itself, the self-balancing vehicle itself, it's still a little bit harder to learn, right? So I actually personally had a lot of people stand on the device first time. They're kind of shaky and stuff. They thought it was a stunt. It was like kids playing hoverboard, that kind of idea, right? So only only sort of the brave kid can try them. So so the learning curve is actually, you know, not there compared to uh, kick scooters. In that sense, it was probably a, a essentially only a developer's platform where you know, the geeks or the educators, they would use that as a, as a platform. 
But in terms of real practical use, I think it's actually not that easy to integrate directly to to make it practical, right? For for something like a, a real delivery. So that's why we we decided saying, hey, why not we just do this real case or real usage scenario where we combine our Lumo technology together with some, let's say, put a cargo box to that and see if this can deliver. So that's that's what we're still doing today. We we're, we're coming up with the next generation delivery bots that delivers indoor, and also there's another one coming out. Actually, already we announced last year. That's the external uh, outdoor deliveries. Now the interesting is. The T60 was really a spin-off. It was almost kind of out of blue. Not necessarily out of blue, but it's it's really we're just connecting the dots, right? So we say, oh, we we are good at robotics. And then, then also there's a kick scooter is a big market here. So then we're asking our questions, what if we can have a kick scooter's drive itself, right? So now the next question is, well, the two-wheel kick scooters cannot balance on its own. Maybe only Segway can, the two wheels, right? two-wheel segways. Mm-hmm. So the question becomes, how do we make two-wheel kick scooters stand on its own? <laughs> well, there's a simple answer to that, which is uh, three-wheelers, <laughs> right? Yes. So that's, that's, yeah. that's, that's actually was the, the, the thought process, right? So that's how we came up with, you know, why not a three-wheelers? Now, the interesting thing is that there's a reason the industry used two-wheel kick scooters, right? For, you know, why it's so popular? Because the two-wheelers, one is cheaper is you know one wheel fewer <laughs> yes so it costs more to to add one one wheel but the other thing is the ride experience is is different so we actually spend time believe it or not we actually spend a lot more time on the ride experience than the robotics side because the, the robotics part is actually not as hard right? because the ridership is the tough it's almost like that there's arts to it right so robotics you know you actually can find quite a few uh, roboticists nowadays to do the you know good, uh, you know, our level, you talk about level one or not even level two type of uh, automation. So you can actually find roboticists to, to do this, but not the three-wheelers to get the same ride experience as the two wheels. So, you know, I, I would invite you to, to we're going to do a, a pilot soon somewhere in the United States. So I, I, I am not ready to announce that yet, but you will be invited to that. And then you can tell me that the ride experience is good or not. And, and, and I have ridden one and actually a lot of people in the micromobility conference had the sort of the privilege to, to try it. And the feedback has been really positive that the, that the ride is actually really good and, and to feel like you're riding a two-wheeler, it really doesn't take much to learn. And it has all the features you needed, right? So not just the driving part, but uh, not, not just the sort of autonomous part, but also, for example, they just don't topple over there's no kickstand, right? So yes. these are yeah, sort of really, really the keywords of micromobility are trivial words like, you know, kickstand. And then it's like no kickstand is really one key for operation and, you know, low maintenance. And so in terms of timeline, you know, originally we, we were looking at a pilot somewhere in the summertime. Well, we will see how, how the schedule can hold, depends on the, the virus situation. But we really hope we can actually have some pilot on the ground going. And uh, one thing for sure is uh, that cities actually do like the idea, having some orderly scooter Yeah, because they don't topple over. They don't topple over, and they are able to kind of rebalance them, reposition themselves to a better locations. Even if they clutter, people left them in the middle of the street, you can essentially move them out of the way. And also the holy grail of this is really, you can summon the scooters to, to you. So the utility rate of the, the fleet will be much higher, right? So that way, the essentially, the company can turn profitable 
sooner and there's much less needed cash if the size of the fleet become minimal. I love the the, the concept of these. I mean, I've, I've been um, very bullish on this idea of shared micromobility uh, that's autonomous or that autonomy will come towards micromobility before you see it in cars uh, mm-hmm. for a while. The one pushback that I've got from a, quite a few people is around the policy and how quickly cities will be able to adopt new technologies like this, and especially given how challenging it is even to when you see the amount of pushback that they're getting around delivery robots and like the, you probably saw it, uh, New York, where uh, Bill de Blasio said, you know, I think it was DHL. Uh, or FedEx was doing something with a robot delivery, actually using like a Segway bottom kind of platform. And the big pushback from Bill de Blasio and, and the New Yorkers was like, you know, we don't want these things on our streets. And to your point, I think it may it may quickly change over time if we discard that we don't want to have people touching our stuff. Yeah, so all it takes is some some small city trying it, right? So, in, you know, this is a free country. So I know the big city would definitely have more regulations. They're, they have a lot more at stake in, in that scenario. So I personally predict it will probably happen somewhere, you know, smaller cities, smaller town, maybe college campus and those areas first before it kind of become popular. And once it, it proves value, then, then the demand will essentially take off. Yeah. Changing tack a little bit here, I, I do want to ask you about how you would consider Segway's performance in the shared space, because it really struck me that you had an early lead, like the early birds were Xiaomi scooters, and but it seemed like a lot of the, you know, the jump scooters are Okai scooters, um, there's been a lot of other Okai and other manufacturers who have emerged that seem to be making progress back in the sort of the large expansion. How would you think about, you know, that's it? Some of the newer scooters that I've seen on the streets here in New Zealand, uh, definitely new the new Segway models, the Segway Maxes. How have you thought about it from in terms of your performance and and being able to compete in that space versus the other development that's going on and other products that are coming out? I think the jury is still out in, in terms of sort of the company strategy, whether we we have a good strategy or or a successful strategy. But I think if you look back 2018, you know when we were in the heat of it. We seem to have a very dominant position in, in the industry. In some way, I, when I look back, I, I think this is actually not necessarily normal because if you think about any industry that has opportunities, there will be floods of competition coming in and just to compete, right? Because there are opportunities. The situation in 2018 is essentially literally we have a head start. So we are the only one who can manufacture kick scooters in large quantity in really massive production scale. And that's sort of the advantage we have that time. And in terms of the technology itself, and it's fairly straightforward to make kick scooters, right? In the early stage of industry, it's really the first mover advantage we had. And that advantage slowly kind of eroded over the sort of last year in a sense that there are a lot more capacity come on board, right? So people, you know, you know China has a many like bicycle factories and then a lot of guys essentially, oh, I can turn my bicycle manufacturing quickly into scooter manufacturing business. So our advantage of scale was no longer the advantage in 2019, right? So we actually look into ourselves. We actually see them coming. We basically, we are in China, right? Think about this. We, we actually own our own factory and everything. So we see them coming. So that's one of the reasons we believe we are not inspired to be a contract manufacturer, right? So, you know, yes. <laughs> when yeah. we have a brand and we have a, very strong R&D team. We have invested in robotics technology in both software and hardware, and we are in this for the long run. And we believe that the sort of the long-term potential in this space. 
And also there's so many innovation needs to be done, right? So think about this, you know, when people say, oh, they laugh at, you know, say, oh yeah, what's a scooter? Two pieces of metal with two wheels, right? And then put a battery in there. Well, guess what? There's a lot of science behind it, right? Think about how can you pack down so many electronics components and especially the battery power. And now we're talking about packing intelligence in them. It's actually not that easy to do, right? So I think copying is very easy. And this is what happened in 2019, but to innovate is hard, right? So, so you, know, you talk about the, the you know, robotics and also the new product ideas we come up with. And those things are hard and not just sort of on the, the mobility side, even for just for fun side, you know, the go-kart was really cool. It's our, some of our engineers came up with this idea that, you know, why don't you combine the Segway with a go-kart chassis and, you know, how cool is that? And we just went and did it, right? So it turned out to be a really good hit for the market. So basically our advantage is on the innovation side. So we keep coming up with new ideas, new products, so we can drive the industry. Because the opportunity is, you know, very vast. So everybody's in this space. So, so it's healthy. Right. So in early days, you see iPhone has dominance in the space, but you don't see them as a as sort of the, the largest share market share leader anymore. But that's OK. But they are leading the pack in terms of coming up with new ideas, innovations. So we totally see that coming. And at one point, I think it was somebody probably even spin. I think somebody said that, you know, we see Segway as a sort of iPhone in the industry. We're really kind of uh, pleased to, to hear that because it's truly what we inspire to be. And it's, it's really the innovator for this space. So we intend to, to keep that lead by innovating, investing R&D, by actually partner with a lot of different companies and operators included, and probably other form of business to come up with newer product. We still see endless possibilities in terms of this space. And I'm not telling you what, because <laughs> that's a secret. <laughs> <laughs> but, but in terms of vehicles, I mean, I assume you're going to go further and further up the chain, right? Like in terms of you've got ATVs now, it makes sense that you would get into vehicles that could continue to be, you know, be covered, but also get on the road and things like that and compete in the sort of the quadricycle space, you know? Oh, yeah. So you saw the CES, we had the S-Pod, right? Yes, yeah, yeah exactly. Actually, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, yeah so yeah. That, that's also a very interesting form factor. And then you, you would say, you know, who, who's going to use that? Are we going to, you know, all become Wally again? And, you know, so there's a lot of comment like that. <laughs> yeah. But I, I tell you the exactly funny, the joke is that 2018, when I was at CES, this is sort of the time when only Bird just started, right? So we, we were talking about, you know, micro-mobilities and, and we put people on kick scooter, electric kick scooters so they can scoot around. Some people are joking, you know, you're going to make American fat again, right? So now you don't have to even bicycle anymore. You, you just have to use kick scooters. But guess what? I mean, this is the reality. And people are naturally born lazy, right? So <laughs> talking about people with disabilities and all these people do need micro transportation means. I mean, the S-Pod is perfect for that. I have a lot of people like driving this is like, oh, this is really fun. And it, it doesn't look too shabby. It doesn't look like a wheelchair. And there's a lot of clever thinking. It's kind of waiting us to, to invent that, right? So this is a, that's why I wake up every day. It was like, this is so exciting, right? There's tons of opportunity here we can explore. You know, I think the, the virus situation is only a minor pause, if you will, and probably a good time for us to reflect on what can we do better, and especially in reaction to the new normal but I, I think there's actually a really you know, clever ideas brewing somewhere in someone's head that will probably impress us a lot. 
Mm. I would love to hear your thoughts around, you know, as you say about something like the S-Pod, which is, it's larger than a scooter. It's almost quite, you know, it's almost quite a large vehicle and you've got the ATVs and you've got the mopeds and all that sort of thing. How do you think about infrastructure? Because that was one of the things that obviously like the Segway, I think that was its failure. Like it was too early. It didn't have the right infrastructure and it didn't have critical mass to be able to force new infrastructure to be built. Do you think that obviously we're going to see the development towards more bike lanes or third lanes or whatever that can accommodate these vehicles? What do you see as the role of something like a company like Segway in that? and the advocacy for that new infrastructure? I guess the lesson learned we had in the past has always been, we cannot do this alone, right? So as a product maker, it's very difficult for us to lobby the government and maybe not even the Chinese government, if, even though we have you know, huge resources in China, not to mention you know, the United States and everywhere around the globe. Uh, so we have to do it together with the local operators, the local small business, perhaps even in some product companies and even like automotive companies. So we kind of have to do this together to have a major influence. And I think it seems just by looking at, you know, the whole, the whole industry now, the momentum definitely is there. So, you know, a lot of people are essentially pushing the, the same directions. We start to see government at least opening up and legalize like micromobility solutions and power like micromobility solutions. So I think it's just a matter of time. City will look into expanding the, the bicycle lanes and perhaps even I just tweeted on Twitter and even um, in some places like UK, they they start to have, oh, I think it was, it was Germany. Uh, basically, they actually, to keep the distance away from sort of oncoming traffic, they actually have two bicycle lanes side by side, right? So, so they kind of widened, they take, take the space from the cars because they have less cars now anyway. So they widened the street to have two-way bicycle traffic. So they keep them apart by at least two meters or something. So things like that, we might be forced almost by the virus to think that way, that we, we need more bike lanes, we need wider bike lanes. And now that we are taking away more cars and less people want to ride the bus or public transportation, Perhaps now we do have the space for the bikes and, and the scooters. So in some way, in, it's almost like blessing in disguise that we're talking about people finally think, oh, I think this makes sense. We can live with our cars after all. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I, I think longer term, I think definitely, you know, we will see much better infrastructure, including scooter highways and, and those things. And especially when you have different form factor, you know, the S-Pod is actually one clever idea we're trying to explore. But if you think about, you know, even for cargo bikes, right, powered cargo bikes, and those probably need a, need sort of wider lanes as well. So uh, if we were to use, let's just sort of imagine, we see huge demand in terms of, you know, food and, and grocery deliveries and, and everybody's sitting home and, and getting the deliveries, then people start to think about, you know, all these cargo bikes and cargo infrastructure is there a way we can provide them to get to your door faster, right? And what about highway for robot even? And so yes. at one point we're talking about highway for drones. Remember, it was, was they still talk about that. Yeah. The but, sky but I, highways, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah the sky completely. highways, yeah. But I, I, I think that will probably will have to wait a while until that take place, and and especially security is at risk. So for the drone highway, probably won't see it anytime soon. But for delivery ro- robots. You know, perhaps there's a new way to regulate that or perhaps even make the delivery safer and also not interfere with other uh, modality. Uh, so, so there's many possibilities and, and it's just 
I just find it fascinating. You, you can actually think about these different possibilities. You bring up, you know, China and the, and the fact that, you, as you say, you're not, even in China with, with a lot of resources, you're not able to advocate for or necessarily push any particular direction for, for how infrastructure is going to develop. We don't have much visibility of micromobility in China. It's one of those kind of the gaps in our in our programming at Micromobility Industries and certainly uh, with on the podcast that I'm trying to fix. But is there anything there that you can share regarding vehicles or regulation or usage rates or anything like that? Is China kind of ground zero for micromobility at this stage? Or where do you think the sort of the innovation and the adoption is really going to be driven from? Yeah, well, China was the ground zero, essentially, you know, in 2016 or 17, right, when, when the bicycle sharing was taking place, there's a lot of investment in, in that space. So there is actually a, essentially a, a head start by the Chinese entrepreneurs, if you will, and also a lot of venture capital money in, in that too. So for the, the Chinese bicycle sharing industry, a lot of the learnings can be not just learning, but also talent. So for example, I actually personally hired a, quite a few good people who used to work for the bicycle sharing business, and they, they know the ins and outs of bicycle sharing. But a lot of the knowledge can be translated to scooter sharing. In fact, some of the scooter bicycle sharing company at one point was seriously looking, expanding outside of China because that time the competition was heating up and the market was crashing and you know whatever reason. So they actually had a head start. So if you think about, you know, all the major cities, essentially the deployment is quite prevalent and everywhere you need one, there is one around the corner and you can get a bicycle. And also, if you go to China now, and if you study a little bit about the industry, it's kind of like the same movie is kind of unfolding or playing now in, in the US or also globally. In a sense that in the very beginning, there's like, you know, rush of everybody tried to do the same thing and nobody can differentiate anybody. And I still remember everybody talking about how do you differentiate yourself? And the only thing you can say is my color is different. And so that's sort of the, the dynamics in the very, very beginning. And it's sort of very resemble, you know, 2018 and 19 globally, right, for the, for the micromobility industry. But if you look at China today, it's, very, it's still a very similar picture on the street, but the color has changed, right? So, so the, the originally orange and yellow has gone. Now we have like blue and, you know, light blue <laughs> and different <laughs> yellow. So, so different color and different players. So you, you see the, so it's essentially the reshuffling of the whole, whole industry after, you know, four or five years. And it, so there's, of course, many story behind it, a lot of the success story and also failures as well. And personal entanglement, of, you know, if you read Chinese, there's a lot of story, almost like a soap opera behind that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think we we only see the first phase of the, the movie in the sense that, you know, only, I, I always like the Warren Buffet's term is that, you know, only when the tides are receding, then you, you see who's not wearing, <laughs> wearing pants, right? So basically, similar situation when the industry becomes, we're into difficulties and tough time, the stronger will probably will, you know, will stay and then probably will consolidate. So there's always, you know, the tendency. So they will be shuffling probably after this virus thing going on as well. If you look at some of the encouraging story in China is that, for example, some of the bicycle sharing business, if they focused in their core competence, focus on their uh, unique economics, and also focus on strong partnership with many strong players in the space, like Hello Bike, right? Hello Bike is, was a small player. They focused on smaller area in China. And they turn out, you know, to be the biggest one now because they focus on all these key things. And by the way, they, they partner with Alibaba, right? So that's also very important. 
so similar thing you will see that might play out, you know, in a very similar fashion. And so it's almost like the history will rhyme on the other side of the ocean, right? So you will already see them, you know, happening on this side. So I think that a lot of the learnings are definitely transferable, probably not, not at the level of, for example, form factors or maybe regulations. They might be different, right? Because they, you know, the Chinese culture or even regulations definitely favors the, the big wheels, the, the bicycles and, and mopeds and the regulations too. But in the U.S. and Europe, Kickstarter seems to be uh, getting a stronger hold. Although we see actually Mopaz demand is going up as well. But in general, the market here kind of favors the, the Kickstarter form factor. So that's probably not transferable, a little bit cultural dependent. But in terms of behavior of the, the companies and also the, you know, what, what are the sort of the key KPIs people look into and uh, whether you know, someone is sustainable or not, and those sort of principles, essentially, they're still the same. Yeah, yeah, they apply everywhere. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellent. Hey, um, well, look, I'm, I'm aware we're running up against time. So the last question I, I wanted to put out here is that Segway is privately owned and uh, you don't reveal much in the way of your sales figures or anything like that. You're very coy. I understand that, Tony. I, I'd love to know more. I'm just wondering, is there any plans for you or for Ninebot to go public? Is that something that's being discussed or, or floated at the stage? You heard my hesitation in terms of you know disclosing uh, numbers. Actually, there's a main reason for this. One is that it's actually not private message. We we actually announced the IPO or filing for IPOs in June or July last year, 2019. Oh, really? Okay, sorry, I missed that news. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, so we're actually the first ever foreign entity listed in Chinese stock exchange called Star Market, mm-hmm. like the star um, in the sky. It's a essentially unprecedented in China. So we're sort of the first one we essentially given the permission to do that in China. It's, uh, it's a Shanghai Stock Exchange. Essentially, it will be under the, the sort of the Chinese name of Naibot. It's essentially number nine robot. Unfortunately, the perspectives or the filings are, are not in English because they're in, in Chinese. But I'm pretty sure your colleagues who, you know, who speak or read Chinese can actually search for that under the Naibot name. It actually has... Very detailed financials. <laughs> so if you want to... Oh, um, really? Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. This is great news. I did not know this. So it is already listed or it's about to get listed? It's about to get listed. Okay. But the, the filing and all these things are already public information. Interesting. Okay, brilliant. And uh, is there anything else in terms of, obviously, people who uh, listen to this episode and want to want to come to you, there's a whole suite of services that you guys offer, etc. Best way for them to reach out, is it via LinkedIn or is there the better way to get in touch with you? Oh yeah, my, my LinkedIn always works. Search for Tony Ho and Segway under the company. And also my email address is anthony.ho at segway.com. Excellent. That's great. Thank you so much, uh, Tony. It's great to finally have a chance to sit down and uh, chat with you because you really, you're really in it and you also conceptually get it as well. I, did you study with Clayton Christensen? Yes. I was sitting in the front row, the first row of him. Unfortunately, he passed away just you know, a month ago. So pretty sad for us. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't realized you were one of his students, but yeah, that makes a makes a lot more sense now. Yeah. <laughs> it makes a lot more sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is a great conversation, yeah? No, no, not at all. We'll hopefully have a chance to bring you back on at some point in the future. Maybe when we've got a little bit more details about what you, uh, your financials, now that I know that I, I might be able to go and find that stuff. Uh, we'd love to, to pick your brain maybe in a year or so. But in the meantime, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. You take care. Bye-bye.